Hello, hello, and welcome to the mid-month catch-up. Things have been moving so quickly over the last two weeks, I couldn't help but get my butt into gear and let everyone know what's going on. If you're anything like me, you're probably going to miss a lot of the news purely because it flies by in your timeline on whatever platform you choose to use. I swear, it is so hard to keep up with what's going on in the mobile Linux world. But that's where this show comes in. It's going to be a quick-fire news update for anything you may have missed over the last couple of weeks. But before we get into that, all of the links that I've used to research this episode are in the description of the podcast. I won't bore you with a big long explanation. Let's just get into it. This is not a test. Got that right. The newest and arguably the biggest news on everyone's lips this week has been the announcement of the PinePhone Pro. Yep, you heard that right. A pro version of the already popular PinePhone is set to ship to developers around December this year. There have been some major improvements where we wanted them and dropping of hardware that's been, shall we say, problematic. First and foremost, the CPU's been swapped out for a more powerful hex-core RK3399S, which has been downclocked to 1.5 GHz. This also brings with it the Mali T860 graphics processor. RAM gets a bump up to 800 MHz LPDDR4, and EMMC is 128 gigs as standard. The last major improvement is the 13 megapixel Sony IMX258 back camera sensor with the original 5 megapixel Omnivision OV5640 being swapped to pull off selfie duty. A smaller but no less significant change is the move away from the headache inducing Realtek Wi-Fi and Bluetooth module being replaced with the Ampac OP6255. Some good news for existing PinePhone users, all of your accessories should work with the PinePhone Pro as the internal frame and pogo pins have been designed to match the original. That means upon release, your spare batteries, docking stations, screen protectors and upcoming back cases should all match up just right. It means that the upcoming PinePhone keyboard case, the fingerprint reader case and the Qi charging case should all work. Side note, the current back cases will not work due to the PinePhone Pro being about 2mm thicker than the original. At the moment, pre-orders are limited to developers only, but the newly minted Explorer Edition, Pine64's consumer release name for the Pro, should be made available to early adopters near the beginning of 2022. Current pricing is US$399 per device. Reviews from developers who already have devices seem to be good, with many comparisons being made with the Pinebook Pro in terms of overall power and capabilities. A few issues have already been identified by Maggie and others, such as high power consumption, likely due to the default OS not limiting the CPU frequency. LinMob points out that while it's more or less a decent bump in specs, it may well be worth the price considering how much more usable it could make it in daily use. If you want to see it for yourself, Martin Bram has posted a really nice video about the PinePhone Pro. Lucas from Pine64 also had a really interesting interview on the Destination Linux podcast. The standing of Pine64 on the original PinePhone is that the PinePhone Pro is supposed to enhance rather than hinder development for the former. 
Linux Lounge has been absolutely killing it recently and has been posting some great videos testing out the capabilities of the Pinebook Pro. Real world testing includes 4K video editing, gameplay and Netflix stream testing. The basic conclusion on 4K video is that the Pinebook Pro is capable of editing 4K in Caden Live using proxy clips and setting the video preview to 240p. You'll have to be damn patient to get everything done, but the fact that you can actually do it is still one heck of a surprise. Rendering is about one minute of simple footage works out to about five minutes of render time. This time will increase when adding effects and transitions. Moving on, Celeste on the Pinebook Pro is also reasonable. Sound is solid and frame rate seems really playable. He goes on with video streaming as well, and it looks really good. YouTube and Crunchyroll are mostly smooth, but using MPV should improve the experience due to its hardware acceleration on the Pinebook Pro. Apple TV refuses to work on the Chromium with DRM enabled Docker package. Spotify is also not functioning well in the browser. Netflix seems to work really well. Video playback is smooth, but there is the occasional dropped frame. Also, in unrelated interesting news, Kidam over on the Triscoll forums has managed to get Triscoll running on the Pinebook Pro using a hand-implemented Ambien kernel. According to Pine64, the major hurdle before releasing the Pine Note to enthusiasts at the moment is the e-paper display. Until Linux can initialize the display reliably, general release will be withheld. As developers in the community have made massive strides towards making it a stable and usable product, the day when you can actually get your hands on one gets closer and closer. A couple of really cool developments regarding the original Pinephone have popped up this month. Martin Bram managed to get Octoprint running to monitor his 3D printer. Traditionally, Octoprint runs on a Raspberry Pi, but with the Pinephone, he managed to install Octoprint from source and enable touchscreen input using an Octoprint Touch UI plugin. He also got the Pinephone camera working for monitoring the printer. If nothing else, this is awesome to see running. Lucas has let me know that the Pinephone keyboard has also entered production, and an announcement will be made at the end of the month as units roll out of the factory. The Infinitime firmware for the Pinetime released two versions back to back. Version 1.5.0, which introduced a brand new alarm app, notification improvements, and the ability to remember the time after a reset. Only two days later, they released 1.6.0, which contained the fix for BLE that we've all been waiting for. Daniel Jackson sent in a pull request claiming to have resolved the issue, and within a matter of hours, people were installing it and testing it. Great work, guys. Absolute congratulations to the folks over at Postmarket OS Podcast. Having its 10th episode release is a real milestone. I wish you well, and I hope to see many more in the future. The podcast covers some great info about SWMO. Yes, it's actually a thing. SXMO, actually running over Wayland, was not on anyone's radar, but surprised us all. Wayland is functioning well on Postmarket, but there are admissions that your mileage may vary. The LG G Watch R has also gained some basic mainline Linux support, and the wiki's been updated with a list of things that work and don't work. Martin Bram posted a video showing Postmarket OS running on the OnePlus 6, and damn, it looks smooth. There is definite missing functionality there, but to see it running this well is a real achievement. 
Right alongside it, Caleb also posted a video giving an update about the progress PostMarket OS is making on the OnePlus device. He also showed us the OLED theme that's provided by the PostMarket theme package. Also added to the list of bootable devices, the Fairphone 4 can now allegedly already boot PostMarket OS. Manjaro Arm Stable just got a release today with some major updates, including QT 6.2.0, Firefox 93, a KDE Gear and Frameworks upgrade, Vivaldi 4.3, Yay 11.0.1, and a kernel bump. There is a note though, the update to libxcrypt 4.4.21 will no longer accept MD5 or SHA1 passwords, so you should be asked to update your password on the next login. Just be aware of the change and report any bugs in the process. If the Display Manager login doesn't work properly, you can drop out to the terminal using Ctrl-Alt-F2 and log in there. It should solve the problem for the next reboot. After the release of the show at the beginning of the month, wouldn't you know it, Manjaro Arm um, Fosh Beta 16 dropped. I was kicking myself for missing that one. Anyway, the normal upgrades to the kernel and standard apps are there, along with some decent upgrades for Chatty, GStreamer, and Pipewire. Calls got a version increase, as did Mesa and Firefox. LinMob continues his spectacular tradition of bringing up the latest interesting information surrounding the mobile Linux space on his blog. He links out to some interesting articles and videos around Libidwita, QT 6.2, Nemo Mobile, and much more. His blog posts truly are a treasure trove of updates and information. If you've ever felt like you're not keeping up with everything, jump in there and have a read. It's well worth it, with links to actual information, not just rumors. He's also still looking for people to contribute to LimMob apps, a semi-crowdsource effort to map out and test Linux apps in a mobile form factor. Gamey posted a nice big long blog entry covering mobile Linux Reddit clients, Giara and Quickedit. Definitely worth a read if you're feeling the Reddit itch. Vola have also posted a picture of Sailfish running on the Volaphone X, their ruggedized device. Alongside support from UB ports, this is a great step forward for the company and the community. A rugged phone that can be used however you want is a great addition to the Linux mobile landscape. The beleaguered Purism has had further problems and delays with shipping its Librem 5 devices to customers, some having waited since 2017. Purism sent out an email explaining the issues surrounding the silicon shortage and how it's affecting the supply line and manufacturing. While the details are definitely understandable, the response from the community has been mixed, but mostly understanding. On a more positive note, Gardner Bryant released the fourth video in his series showing how to get the best out of Caden Live on his Librem 14. This series will be really helpful to creators in general, not just Librem users. Something else that was cool that was released by Purism is the Pureboot R19 pre-release ROM. It's available for download from the GitLab, which brings with it the ability to validate files in both the root and boot partitions, and allows you to enable automatic checking upon boot. Also, there is an embedded controller update, which improves power management of source electricity, improves keyboard mapping, and also provides better temperature control. Framework have announced the Framework Marketplace. This is intended to be a one-stop shop for all things Framework, including third-party accessories. From here, you can order not only a complete Framework laptop, but also replacement parts and expansion cards. 
The intention is to open up the marketplace to third-party developers and also allow users to resell new, used, and refurbished devices. This is a great approach to leaning into their goal of a green company. More recycled and reused hardware means less landfill and e-waste. I look forward to seeing how this market grows over time. Ubiports released the 110th Q&A. They go over the Volophone X and that the OTA 20 update is on the way. Apparently, the CA certificate for Let's Encrypt expired, causing some major issues with anyone using the OTA 19. If you're having issues, switch over to the Release Candidate channel and all should be well again. UbiPorts would also like to ask for volunteers to put together news and information surrounding the Open Store. If you're unaware, this is the main way to download and install applications on Ubuntu Touch. Marius is working on trying to pull together Halium 9 and the Mir tree. Jan has been working on giving the installer a major visual upgrade, including helpful notes during the installation process. There was an issue found that caused rollbacks, but this should be resolved in the next release. Alfred has added XFAT support in a kernel patch, which increases the allowed capacity of the SD card you mount in your phone. This only affects the Xperia X and Pixel 3a for now. Also, in preparation for DisplayLink, EVDI and UDL also received some much-needed attention. A couple of new apps have also been added to the open store, a sprite editor named Pixelorama, and a benchmarking utility aptly named UT Sysbench QT GUI. Nemo Mobile also got some much-needed attention as well. Polish and Finnish translations have been published, adding to the list of included languages English, Russian, and Czech. There have been some gesture improvements and over 140 commits to Lipstick. These target things like notifications, lock screen, performance, and responsiveness. The resolution has been edited to match the Pine Phone dimensions, and everything's been updated to reflect the change, including fonts. Wagedroid is also running, albeit with some effort and a lot of patience. A comprehensive list of bug fixes is up on the blog, but there's an issue around installing packages via Pac-Man. A temporary solution is listed at the bottom of the post. RTP over on the Fediverse has been posting some really interesting and relevant information recently, well worth the follow if you're interested in security. Articles include things like the Cineverse hack, which potentially allowed a breach of millions of users' SMS messages from all over the world. Something a little more close to home for us makers, Thingiverse had a data leak and it would be a good idea to go change your password as soon as you can. Unfortunately, they don't support two-factor authentication, so make sure to use a unique and strong password. Finally, in what the hell is wrong with you news, apparently a journalist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch has been classified as a hacker by a Missouri governor after the journalist in question actually did the right thing. What did he do? He right-clicked on a government-run school website and then clicked View Source. The page left around 100,000 social security numbers of educational staff exposed. The view source option is obviously a well-known method for troubleshooting and testing any web page. I swear, if I was this reporter, I'd be printing the headlines of the governor's words and mounting them on my wall as a badge of honor. Am I in the air? Yes. And on that note of pure silliness, we come to the end of the show. Big thanks to everyone in the community for helping make this a great show. Apologies for the website downtime, but it should all be up and running again now. I've put alternative links in my Fetty profile just in case, and don't forget to subscribe to the RSS using your favorite app. 